1: hello and welcome to the podcast I'm Dave Moore and with me is my co-host a co-creator co-founder because uh, when we sell this Neil for a million billion dollars soon you'll be a, you'll be one of those co-founders it's Neil Delmer Hello, I
2: realised you were exactly what you were doing. You could already see a court case in your head, couldn't you? You <laughs> really?
1: already, I could already,
2: I could see you looking really sad. sad. That, 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 there's some sort of misunderstanding. I, I always thought I i created it, Your Honour, yeah.
1: I thought you knew from the word go.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's park that for a second. Okay. Uh, today we are going to be talking about the Myers Suriname Toad. <laughs> 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 yeah, the Myers, i toad. told, And specifically why it should have been in Alien, the film. So later okay. on, in part two, we're going to be talking to Simon Watt, who's an evolutionary biologist and who's an absolute genius on this sort of thing. He's a brilliant presenter and knows everything about animals. Uh, but he's going to explain to us why it has particular features that it should be better known than it is.
1: Let me just clarify here. You said... Myers Suriname toad. Two of like there's. I understand. I think all three of those words. I've never <laughs> heard them together in a sentence. So I, I'm presuming there's a toad in Suriname that mm. may have been discovered by somebody called Myers or something along those lines. That's as you, much as I can glean from this so far.
2: You are already there, yeah. Myers was a famous person, who, who uh, a biologist, and uh, he he catalogued all these things. But I'll let, I'll let Simon talk about that because he okay. is the expert on this. Uh, but meanwhile, of course, because I knew we were going to talk about this, I have been um, researching amphibians and frogs and toads, and man, they're actually really interesting. I now have three favourite frogs and toads I genuinely, no, like I genuinely do. I know you love a list.
1: Is it going to go in like top of the pop style, reverse order, like three, two, one, or how are you going to do? No, it to you?
2: no. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you the three, and then you can choose. You can. I'll tell you what. You can rank. I'll it, order okay. Them. So I'll straight off them, the yeah. top, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Wood frog, glass frog, pregnancy test frog.
1: Okay, I'm already (laughs) intrigued by number three, but let's go. (laughs) Wood frog first, you said.
2: If only you had... How many children do you have? If only you lived near a pond, you might have fewer children. Okay, wood frog. (laughs) So the wood frog is um, one of the few frogs that lives above the Arctic Circle, right? So obviously above the Arctic Circle, it's very, very cold. So You've got two choices. When it gets cold, it gets minus 20, minus 30 degrees centigrade. It, It can go even further than that. What happens? So you either protect yourself from that cold, or you go, and I quote, ''screw you cold, I'll take whatever you can throw at me.'' And that's what the wood frog does. (laughs) Really? So the the wood frog essentially freezes for seven months of the year. Its heart stops, it stops breathing, its blood stops flowing. But it's really interesting, so there was a study done, they got 16 frogs, okay, Okay. And uh, they glued radio transmitters to their back. That was somebody's job. What did you do today? I cured cancer because I'm a scientist. What did you do? I stuck a satin on kermit. And they tried, to, <laughs> they, they tried to figure out where they were staying. And they were staying in kind of under leaf cover and a little bit of snow. So, I mean, okay. the temperature plummeted. And they saw that they froze. They always knew that they froze for seven months. But what they do is they thaw during the day and then they freeze at night and then thaw and freeze and thaw and freeze. Uh, also, oh,
1: it's not a, a permanent, It's like, because, I mean, our perception of hibernation in whatever sense is that the bear or the polar bear or the whatever, they just go underground and that's it. They just conquer. But they don't, do they? Hibernation is a real up and down thing.
2: It is at the start, which is what they didn't know. But then once it, the temperature drops fully, they go they, they sh- essentially shut down. So if you pulled the leg of this toad, it would snap off. It's that level of frozen. But it's amazing how they do it. What they do is they the liver uh, produces glucose and changes the glycogen in their cells to glucose. Okay. And the glucose then is pumped by the heart into each cell in the body. And that means that the glucose is in the cell, which means the water is bound to it and it then doesn't. Dehydrate, so this, there can be a- ice outside the cell, but glucose in the cell in every cell in the body, and that's how it basically like a, like its own form of antifreeze. It doesn't dehydrate essentially, and that's how after seven months it can reanimate.
1: So it is so. In other words, okay. So let's take the the outer bit that we can see of the frog. If we were to come across it, it is for all intents and purposes a block of frog ice. Frog frog ice. But internally, the the individual cells have antifreeze. They're, they're okay. That's
2: what the glucose is. And you might kind of think, okay, well, what, what's the application of that to humans? If they, First of all, nobody knows how the heart starts again. Nobody knows. A bell, r- the angelus rings and it just starts again. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know.
1: <laughs> A woodworker looks up from his <laughs> desk and the frog goes, hello. <laughs>
2: <laughs> A princess is dispatched to kiss every individual frog. I don't know. Vital work the knowledge is applicable to humans. Because if you can figure out, one, how the blood starts again, mm. with no clots, we could use that. If you could figure out how the glucose is, uh, how they survive so much blood sugar in their blood, that has applications for diabetes. By the way, if, if, if any, at any point... If you think about a bear finding this glucose frog, that would be like Leucosate to a bear. Can you imagine how tasty and sugary that frog would be? But like a fat frog, but like it's a fat frog.
1: <laughs> I remember um, in the 80s, do you remember in the pharmacy, you could get a like a, a packet, a strip of glucose, Leucosate yeah. branded glucose sweets. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's your bear equivalent.
2: There's your bear equivalent. And if you can figure out exactly how the frog... Uh, freezes, you know, its its organs and allows its organs then to unfreeze. We could elongate the life, hopefully, of a kidney that was to be transplanted or a heart that was to be transplanted. So that's why they're studying it. That's why I love the wood frog.
1: Okay, wood frog. I'm very impressed. What did you say? The second one was a glass frog.
2: Glass frog. Glass frog is so cold because when it gets threatened, it smashes at glass and just straight into your face.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I wish that were true because I would have voted number one immediately, but I know you're joking.
2: Yeah, like, imagine if that was. Like, imagine if we cut this podcast and the only line in it is that and then our, in, our chat <laughs> with our proper expert. The glass frog, it lives in Central and South America. It's called the glass frog because it is clear. It's essentially. The abdomen and the legs are translucent so you can see into the frog. You can see its heart, you can see its digestive system. It's an amazing frog. Terrible drug smuggler, but an amazing frog.
1: Okay, I I love these kind of things and I love that you're going to explain this to me because sometimes when evolution does what evolution does, Mm. I have questions. There's no doubt.
2: There's a man who looked at his parents with webbed fingers one day and went, Mammy, we need to have a conversation.
1: (laughs) There's no doubt that evolution has allowed the glass frog to become the glass frog because there's a reason for them to be translucent. Right now, this face is a face that does not understand why anything would need to be translucent that lives in South Central uh, Americas. But you're now going to tell me why the hell the glass frog is see-through.
2: God wanted a paperweight. <laughs> uh, imagine if you got the glass frog and the wood frog. That's basically a snow globe. I just I just realised that. That would look amazing. Well, actually, they, they couldn't figure this out. So they genuinely couldn't figure this out. This was only figured out recently. This was figured out in 2020. We all do weird things during lockdown. Uh, and they figured out that if the frog kind of sits with its legs surrounding it, essentially, it screws a predator's uh, idea of the outline. So say if it's lime green generally, the back of the frog is lime green, right? And the leaf is a darker color green. By putting the legs, which are translucent, and the body, the way it sits like that, um, body surrounded by legs, it essentially screws the edge, if you know what I mean. There's edge distortion. And they have figured this out, that it's really effective. So one thing they did is they got uh, 125 images computer models of opaque frogs and frogs with this sort of translucence and their their patterns. And they showed uh, uh, 125 pictures to 20 people and, and basically played Where's Wally with frogs. They were less good when they were translucent. And the other thing they did is they made like 180 gelatin opaque frogs and 180 frogs with translucence, the same translucence, right. and went out for three days into the jungle and saw what was eaten by predators. That, that was somebody's job. They just sat in the jungle going opaque, translucent, what? opaque, translucent. Yeah, yeah. And it's really, really effective because if you think about it, there isn't a sharp distinction between leaf and frog. There's leaf and then there's legs that you can kind of see through and you can see some bits of it. And, and then 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 there's right, the, some right, part right, of right. the frog. So your, your profile is because predators are go looking out for a frog shape, whereas they don't see a frog shape. So it's really, really effective. The question is would you want it as a human would you would you want if you could go in and i could just see into your organs like you'd never lie to your doctor again have you drunk too much alcohol no i haven't well your liver is the size of a wheelie bin so i mean i can see it so i know you're lying
1: it's floating in blue wicket, so i think the answer is you have <laughs> <laughs> okay i've just been polite through these first two frogs because i just need to hear about pregnancy test frog what the hell are you talking about
2: for for many years, like from kind of, it's the African clawed frog, from the 30s to the 60s, the mainstream pregnancy test involved um, injecting a woman's urine uh, into a frog. And then if the frog spontaneously laid eggs, then the woman was pregnant. Thank you and good night. I'm going to end my next stand-up show like that.
1: No, but that that is exactly, now we've gotten to the point where the name of this podcast is now relevant. (laughs) Why would you tell me that? Because, (laughs) like, sorry, when you say 30s to 60s, you don't mean 1630s to 1660s. You mean less than 100 years ago.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's it's kind of crazy. I, I, you don't necessarily think about this, but yeah, there was, there was a scientist, um British scientist called Hogben, and he studied hormones. He studied hormones, and he injected them into frogs. And he moved to South Africa in 1927, and he continued these experiments. Right, and one of the frogs was the African clawed frog. It was called Xenopus, and it was so abundant and it was so easy to work with, about the size of your hand. He he actually I think he named his house after it. But he he continued to do this. Right, so he he in 1930, I think it was he injected xenopus with extracts from an oxus pituitary gland right which is it does sound like it it does sound like you'd see it on a really expensive conditioner but <laughs> uh, <laughs> jojoba oil and a bit of a bull uh, and so the pituitary gland is this obviously this little pea-sized hormone factory at the base of your brain and the frogs started laying eggs so this was this kind of accidental uh, finding but was really lucky because at the time scientists knew that the urine uh, of a pregnant woman contained certain hormones right. uh, that were made in, in the pituitary, and that affected the, the development of ovaries. So, if those same ovaries could trigger egg laying in Xenopus, well, then the frog could act as a living pregnancy test. And they just went from there. It was the it was called the Hugbin test.
1: And so, when you okay, but okay, so he moved to South Africa. So, was this just done in his village in South Africa? Are you saying that this is done like globally?
2: This was globally. This became the Hugben test. It was it was it was pretty simple. You 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 collect a woman's wee, you inject it fresh, untreated, no no (laughs) pasteurisation involved, um, into into the the skin of a female Xenopus, and then you wait. And if the woman is pregnant, between five and twelve hours later, the frog produces little black and white spheres. And were really, really reliable.
1: So, it's just an incredible feat of lateral thinking for someone who's just, you know, studying hormones. Goes, got a bit of oxus pituitary there. If I lashed that into Xenopus, then I might just end up with a pregnancy test. The world can be like, <laughs> what? Where are these people's it's, brains? It's it's crazy. Like it's
2: uh, like. Uh, And God forbid, by the way, a woman would have any agency over this. So like in the 50s, you you couldn't go in, like medical historians will tell you, you couldn't go in and go, can I get the pregnancy test, please, ribbit. Like there was none of that sort of stuff. It was, you would be told, well, come back and come back in a couple of months. And if you've, if you've gotten a little bigger and you're not having your period, maybe you're pregnant. This was used by the medical profession specifically, you know, to tell immediately if there was going to be some sort of operation or something like that. So it wasn't, okay. it wasn't, you know, you couldn't have access right. to it yourself. But okay. this okay. For, for, for 30 years until they figured out this specific test for the actual
1: hormone, this is what was used. Frogs, man. Like I'm already... You're on board, aren't you? I'm on, not only am I on board, I'm a little bit worried about what Simon's going to be able to bring us about the, (laughs) what was the name again? Uh, The Myers Suriname Toad. The Myers Suriname Toad has got a big mountain to climb to beat the pregnancy. So I need to rank the frogs first, don't I? Um, I will say number three is glass frog. I, I, I think translucent animals always intriguing me I don't know do you know about the barrel eye fish I don't mean to we'll probably do fish another day but very quickly there's a fish that lives in deep water and they're always so weird down there but this fish effectively remember when Homer designed a car for his brother and it had a kind of a dome a glass dome over where you sat this fish, this oh, barrel yeah. eye fish, has yeah, yeah, this yeah. dome over its head. It's completely translucent. You see its brain. You see its well, they're not. I suppose they're not eyes, but just the stalks of its 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 visual stalks, which, by the way, can look up and then come down and look forward. And it is in order to increase the amount of light that can get to this fish because it lives in so so deep in the ocean that the barrel eye has a translucent head. There you go. That's
2: an episode of Spongebob Squarepants that would terrify children, I would have thought.
1: <laughs> I would have thought maybe the translucent animal would have gotten higher, but I'm going to put it at three. Uh, the the wood frog, because of the insane level of adaptability to its environment, goes in at number two. But absolutely, the strangest thing I've heard in a long time is the fact that somebody injected women's wee into a frog to tell whether they're pregnant. So yes, that, that Xenopus ranks number one currently. But maybe the Myers Suriname Toad's is about to outdo it.
2: Well, absolutely. Let's let's see in part two. Can Simon Watt, evolutionary biologist extraordinaire, move Myers Suriname Toad above pregnancy test toad? Hold
0: up.
2: So we're now joined by Simon Watt, evolutionary biologist. In part one, we're talking about frog facts. Um, uh, do you have an unusual frog fact for us? I know, I know you do, anyway. I don't even know why I'm asking.
3: Well, loads. Um, they're kind of like, to my mind, the biologist's animal. They do a bit of everything. So... Uh did you know there's a kind of frog, which um, they call it the Wolverine frog, because even it's trying to get on the <sighs> Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think. Um, no, but look, it's, it's it's unfortunate it doesn't have any claws or anything, so if you attack it, what does it do? It panics and thinks, oh no, oh, I know, I'll just break my toe bones, force them through my skin, and use that as makeshift claws. <gasps> okay. Okay. That's that's the nutter on the bus of frogs. Right <laughs> that there, isn't
2: that it? is the fella on the bus where you think any logic here is not going to <laughs> is not going to take this guy out. He breaks its his own legs and uses his own legs as a weapon.
3: Well, well toes really. So there's, there's kind of two amphibians which do this, and this is one of them. They're distantly related. The other one is the chanai newt, which is a type of salamander. So in the case of the frog, it breaks its toe bone. So it is it's like Wolverine. So if you know Wolverine, by the way. Um, you know, uh, sings very well, Hugh Jackman, that kind of thing, and shoves those knives out through its hands. This does something similar. The newt's a bit different, and it's even better, actually, because it breaks uh, bones on its ribs, so it's these retractable things. But what's even better is when they shoot through the skin, they come out this area, there's a poison gland, so it, it coats them with poison as it goes through too.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dave, can I just ask, where where where, where did it rank... I mean, they piss, all over, they piss all over the three frogs I've oh, mentioned so far.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry, your your pregnancy frog story is now retired. That's that's boring compared to this. Um, and obviously, uh, Hugh Jackman in in Wolverine experiences no pain when the adamantium claws shoot through his fingers. Do we know whether the frogs like are are they done for at this point? Do they need like a cast and crutches or?
3: But the, the important bit is not if it feels pain or not. The important bit is that it heals. So Wolverine's real power isn't just the bony claws, it's that he's got incredible healing capability. And this frog, like so many amphibians, can heal up no scar tissue, nothing. It's like it's never gone full crazy and used its own bones to kill you.
2: Can we ask you uh, the most basic question, which is what is the difference between a frog and a toad?
3: Well, so you could say that all toads are types of frogs, but it's a false distinction. And it basically means like, If you think it's ugly, you probably call it a toad. You know, frogs are very much the kind of Legolas, (laughs) and uh, toads are more the the rugged Argon type of the amphibians. If we're using like Lord of the Rings analogies.
2: So the, the culture you're all over the popular culture here, I'll tell you. If he I drops haven't. in if he drops in a Hunger Games reference, I swear to God, we're gonna hit the top of every single podcast.
1: Hunger Games, I'm waiting for clueless. <laughs> That's what I want to
2: hear. There is a frog called Billy Eilish. Ooh. Now her mate is a bad guy. No. Um
3: so, w- so like it is partly a distinction of how they look, really. And the the key is that they're not what you call toads are not what you call monophyletic. Right. So the way that we say a group of animals in biology is a family is if they have one um, great common ancestor, um, like everybody in Donegal. Okay, (laughs) So like um, if you consider all the birds come from one great, 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 great grandma bird, all the mammals come from one great, 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 great uh, grandma mammal. You can't say that for the toads. So things there's lots of things we call toads because they look like toads. They're not necessarily related but we do know that all the amphibians have got a common ancestor. They all come from a uh, kind of post-proto fish that crawls out of the, the ocean, more or less.
2: So they don't have a common ancestor. Is that, could you say the same for butterflies and moths, that there actually isn't a difference there?
3: Yeah, the, the distinction is entirely aesthetic, really. And so, sure enough, a lot of moths are closely related to each other, but they're they're also closely related to some butterflies. Or other. It's, it's all down to just, yeah, like, I, I kind of think of after a few pints a toad would look like a frog,
2: right? Or you could say like Prince Prince Harry and Prince William, they they're kind of similar to each other, but a lot of people would say that they don't have a common ancestor.
1: Let's <laughs> not get well, into one. that. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not two. Uh,
2: so so what does the Suriname, uh, the Meyer Suriname Toad look like then? Is he big? Is he small?
3: You yeah, well, I think the reason it's kind of about the size of your hand, and the reason I love it so much is just it's. You know, St. Jude's frog, it's a lost cause. If you look at this thing, it's got no tongue, it's got no teeth. Um, it's utterly hopeless. It looks like, it, if you ever see one, like check it out, it looks like it lost a fight with an articulated lorry. It's just completely flat. The one thing it's got going for it actually, it's got this incredible sensory organ at the end of its fingers. Because it got these little feathery tips which branch out and get thinner and thinner. So it's what you call a star-fingered toad because it's always going jazz hands. You know, <laughs> so is it using? It's yes.
1: using its jazz hands to assess its environment in the way that you might use your eyes or your nose or your ears.
3: Precisely, just by having so many more ends, like a kind of like frayed, frayed thread, if you can imagine such a thing, it's so much more sensitive. Is that because um, it doesn't kind
2: of? It doesn't have the tongue to do the usual thing that we would assume frogs would do, which is kind of catch the passing fly.
3: Yeah. So, well, firstly, most of the stuff, it it spends more or less its entire life under the water. It's mostly aquatic. It kind of stays around the bottom or just floats there passively. And it it is just so inactive, like a couch potato of Panama. It's uh, from the Panamanian waters. But it has got an incredible sex life. Oh, things get really you interesting. see,
1: now, yeah, because I was feeling really sorry for the Moira that told here because it was just this kind of bobbing in the water and waiting for something to pass by its terrible fluffy fingers, but now, now it's got something <laughs> going for it.
2: Yeah, hold, now hold that hold that thought because, I mean, it's pretty weird what it does.
3: Yeah, well, I think it's kind of the ultimate proof of what's, it's what you do with it that counts, really, because <laughs> okay. it does these Olympic-grade sexual gymnastics, so the male uh, sidles over to the female. He engages her in a, what we call a coital cuddle, which can last for like two days. So, you know, proper foreplay. Oh. Got a lot to learn. Wow. And then it does these back flips, And mid back flip, he gives her a great big squeeze. He squirts her eggs all over his belly. Uh, then he transfers it to her back, spreading it like some kind of frog jam. Uh, and then he fertilises the eggs. We're we trying to keep this clean, aren't we? Yes. Absolutely. Well, a little yeah. bit, yeah. Okay, so we... It's hard with such sexy frogs, isn't it? So he fertilizes <laughs> the eggs. But then that's where it gets really weird because it gets worse.
2: <laughs> so let's, let's, um, just, let's just get this right. He, he hugs her for up to two days. He yep. heimlich maneuvers her eggs out of her <laughs> on, on, onto himself. He then transfers that onto her. Fer, does he fertilize it on the, on the female egg or does he fertilize it when, he's, when it's on him?
3: It's Phil. Um
1: you can say it, Simon. It's okay. It's a podcast. It's a
3: podcast. It's podcast. Make
1: your make your cultural reference.
3: It's it's Phil Frog Bukaki. After, after, that's kind of the, I don't know if that as culture. It?
1: I prefer the Lord of the Rings ones to be honest with you, yeah, exactly.
3: Fine. He was the
2: smallest dwarf Bukaki.
1: Before. <laughs> Okay, so again, when when Neil was explaining some of his frog things to me earlier on, I, I was constantly coming back to evolution and the fact that evolution has obviously decided that there's a reason for this to be the way it is. So can you please explain why this doesn't occur in the way that it probably does in most frogs that all of a sudden the Suriname Toad needs to do this?
3: Well, you have, yeah, what you're missing here is that's not the weird bit. Yeah, tell him that's not the, weir- tell him the weird bit. What? <laughs> How
2: do you mean it's <laughs> yeah. not the weird bit? No, no, it gets weird. The- I really want to see this.
3: Because because well, it's natural for most of uh, most of life. The way most amphibians do is basically: along comes the the female squirts out her bits, along comes the male squirts out his bits, and then they get on with it themselves. Yeah. You know, it's really outsourcing, really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. But what makes this unusual is because it does it on the back. And the reason for this is that her skin grows around the eggs. The eggs turn into tadpoles. The tadpoles turn into frogs, which emerge fully formed from her back like something from Alien. What? Yeah, She ends up looking a bit like... You know whenever a potato has been left at the back of the... You know, in your store. has yeah, got yeah, all those yeah, eyes yeah. appearing.
2: These... So she has these little hexagonal kind of openings in her skin that the That's what it looks like. If you look at it online, these little toad that's come out of... It is the most horrific game of blockbusters. That's... that's <laughs> if you can imagine, that's what it looks like, Dave. Oh, but that like, is how this frog reproduces.
1: I realise so, now... The name of this podcast is literally perfect, oh, Simon. Why would you tell me that? I I have been existing for a long time, many decades of years on this planet, without having to know about this terrible, terrible animal.
3: There is a there's a fear, like a, a common phobia called tryptophobia, which is a fear of holes.
1: Yes, when the new iPhone 11 Pro came out, and it has three cameras and uh, flash people with tryptophobia looked at it and went oh my god and then to make that worse the internet went and like you know photoshopped a million different eyes so like spiders that have loads of eyes freak people out who have that tryptophobia thing
3: yeah well this this is tryptophobia in a frog format
1: except they're tiny yeah, to existing under the skin of the mother
3: yeah and then they hop out
1: oh, well hang on they So, say out, why so why? they tear the mother does she can she live after this
3: yeah, so, like, her skin's grown around. It's not that like they've gone into, like, the internal tissues okay, or anything. It's okay, more okay. like you've just, you've got a flabby back. And after lockdown, I've got one of those anyway, so.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just an essentially extreme version of Dr. Pimple Popper. That's all it is, Dave. I wouldn't <laughs> worry about it too much. But the toad is fine. But the real question, of course, is, is why, in, from an evolutionary point of view, Simon, does this happen?
3: Well, So, I, I think the key is, again, it's just that thing of wanting to carry your kids around with you. Like, that's the ultimate security and you know you've got Irish mothers, so I know you you've got that experience, probably. But <laughs> 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 we have we've internal reproduction, and that's like the thing which is one of the things that makes mammals incredible. So we are always got the security that our child is inside us, and this frog is doing the same thing, and that same kind of pattern has evolved again and again and again. So, for instance, most fish just do that thing where they squirt out their business and it gets on with itself. Some fish, like some types of shark, have got internal reproduction. And we find there's quite a few frogs which have developed this kind of way of carrying around their kids. So, yeah, this is one of the most extreme examples. But there's a kind of frog which basically has pockets that it keeps its little tadpoles in. Oh.
1: As you mentioned earlier, our perception, general perception of frogs and tadpoles and all that is that, exactly that, that it, they're abandoned and they must make do for themselves. So how, how, what percentage would you say of the frog Population uh, are are ones that look after their young.
3: Yeah, this kind of care is much much rarer, and okay. but again, it happens many ways. So, like there's the pockets. There's ones which carry it around in their brooding pouch, uh, like in in the same kind of bit. Whenever you see a frog doing that amazing sort of barry white burp of a call, mm. that big bit that comes out, they have it in their mouths. You also find these ones where, um, or oh, the most extreme one is. Is this a good time, uh, Neil, to drop in the uh, the Queensland gastric brooding frog?
2: Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Dave, you're going to love this.
3: <laughs> so it it's okay. effectively was doing the same sort of thing. Okay. So the gastric brooding frog, what would happen with them is a come mum, lay her eggs, along comes dad, fertilizes the eggs, and then she swallows her eggs. They turn into tadpoles inside her stomach, they turn into frogs inside her stomach, and then she gives birth through her mouth. She vomits her children into the world. <laughs> Yeah. Which again, if you really think of it, might be preferable, actually. Yeah, than them, them
1: climbing out yeah, of the no. skin that you've grown over them on your back. <laughs> yeah, I think
3: so.
2: I, I really think that people, so the frog basically ha, has a smaller frog inside it. If you're at home and you make Russian dolls now, you've really been just smashed out of the park, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> if you vomit up your own offspring. Like you say though, again, it's they are kept in the stomach and it's it's a protection thing.
3: Yeah, no, it didn't, it didn't work, arguably, because the downside about that species is that it's been extinct for at least 20 years. Ah. We haven't seen one for a long time. Okay. Uh, there was two species that come from Queensland in Australia. One species vomited up tadpoles, one species vomited up frogs. Um, and we know a bit about how they worked, because we also know that they seemed always to swallow more eggs than they would vomit up again at the other side. And the thinking is that the first few eggs would dissolve in the stomach acid. But their dissolving would release like a chemical uh, cue, like a pheromone, which would say, "Oi, switch off your stomach acid. Um, You've got eggs in here. Don't dissolve us and all."
1: Because if the mother would eat something like an insect or whatever, it would need stomach acid to dissolve that. But because that was going to be my next question: is how does it protect it against? No, them? so she she, she would
3: have been uh, fasting for this right. period. Gotcha, I guess. gotcha. Lent, frog lent. <laughs> frog lent. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Are any, any of these ones you mentioned poisonous? Is the Meyer Suriname toad poisonous?
3: Not that I know of. But yeah, if, you, if you're thinking again about the really cool things of frogs, poison has to be up there. Like mm. arguably the most poisonous creature in the world um, is a frog.
1: Is it that little black and, black and yellow one? You're thinking like
3: the poison dart frogs. Yes,
1: that one. Yeah, yeah.
3: And they, they come in so many incredible colours. So like the golden frog would be one of the most poisonous. The poison dart... Actually, let's call the poison dart frogs as a whole lethal you know the, the, the name says it all really it's only a pinprick of poison could kill a human
1: i, I have one uh, one slight possible frog fact that i want to confirm or deny here by you simon if you were to keep a poison dart frog in captivity here say in Ireland would its poisonousness deteriorate over time in other words could you end up with a non-poisonous poison dart frog
3: well do you know what I can't speak for all the species because it's one of those things again that they're really varied and I can't say how they all work but I know that there are some frogs out there which are poisonous frogs that aren't poisonous oh now the reason for that is you get like a, a plant and this plant says right I'm going to make myself poisonous nothing's going to eat me ha ha except along comes an insect and eats it. And rather than dying of those poisons, it recycles them into its body so that the insect is not poisonous and says, right, I'm poisonous. Nothing's going to eat me. And then the frog eats it. (laughs) So some of these frogs are frogs using plant poisons that have come via an insect.
2: Okay. Ah. So if it ate something different in Ireland, it might lose its level of poison.
3: The way you're saying that, you're making it sound like it's going to end up tasting of stew or something but yeah like that's more or less
2: i know i imagine two two gauges and as the poison goes down uh, from living in ireland the natural begrudgery and bitterness goes up and the two of them just level off at roughly the same point
1: with a sprinkling of bacon and cabbage
2: (laughs) so there's loads of poisonous frogs are there any venomous frogs because of course there is a difference um
3: yeah so the there like there's loads and loads hundreds and hundreds of poisonous frogs and there is very very few venomous frogs um, one that i know of and there might be another one and this the, the thing i love about it is it's basically got these little spines along on the edge of its eyes and uh the way it gets its venom into you it basically headbutts you to death <laughs> what? and it's 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 not even from glasgow like it's uh, a <laughs> beautiful species do you know the name of it Yeah, this is Bruno's cask-headed frog. Funny, I was having to look it up here to make sure I could check it out because it's gorgeous as well. You know, the way it's got those little spikes around its eyes, it's like...
1: It sounds tremendous the way it's glued oh. weapons to the front of its forehead so that it can headbutt you into oblivion.
2: Oh, the way it looks like a mace from medieval times designed to ma- maximise damage on someone's face. It's Only a biologist can say something will headbutt you to death and then talk about its beauty in the next breath. Did you see the way he did that? He was like, oh, God, it's so lovely. I'd love to study that frog as it headbutts something else
1: to death. You wouldn't want to, like, bump into your mate as you're walking down the road, would you? Oh,
3: very good point. Is that Freddy Krueger?
1: <laughs> Isn't he Freddy Krueger? Look like that? No, it was a Hellraiser. Had all the needles coming. Oh, out it was. Hellraiser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Pinhead.
3: Yeah, Pinhead. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think anybody who studies venoms and poisons is asking for it. To be frank, I know. <laughs> I know of a guy. This is a true story. So he, he had the weird job of like I, I worked with him very very briefly. Like he milked snakes, right? Okay. For, for their venom. Now, that is a fantastic job because the reason why he's doing it is to develop anti-venoms. So to make anti-venoms, you need venoms. This guy will have saved people's lives through this work. But as you, as you squeeze, as you milk your snake, um, a bit of the venom aerosols, so you're going to always be breathing in a little bit of it as well. Um, oh. And then, because the weird human body works the way it is, it didn't just poison him or make him like, feel a bit bad. He became allergic to the venom. And if he's allergic to the venom, that means he's also allergic to the anti-venom. And sure enough, again, like all snake handlers, he occasionally gets bit, in which case he has to inject himself first with the anti-venom and then adrenaline no and then anti-venom and then adrenaline. Oh my God. And he goes all the way to the hospital. Do you know the way you said you
2: didn't work for with him for long? Is <laughs> so a happy end to the story? You both moved on. <laughs>
3: <laughs> he moved. He moved to Ireland just in case. Oh, no snakes, okay.
1: Phew, thank you, Saint Patrick. <laughs> uh, Simon, this has been utterly fascinating. Uh, I, I came into this with the vaguest knowledge about frogs, thinking, you know, really, are we going to do a podcast about frogs and toads? But I've learned so much, and I know that I'm now terrified of every single amphibian there is. <laughs> I'm going to just
2: oh man I'm going to sneak into the next time you're on air and just start humming the frog chorus or just leaving lily pads randomly around your house to see if I can terrify you Simon I, I, I've, talk, I've talked to you before I'm never surprised by the level of expertise uh, that you show and the level of uh, well skill that you show by telling us really interesting facts so thanks a million and I'm delighted Dave has been converted to the amphibian cause thanks for talking to us today Simon
3: oh good seeing you again Neil lovely to meet you Dave you too thanks Simon cheers
2: Okay, so I don't know about you, but Simon blew my mind with some of that stuff. I knew I knew some of it because we were going in with uh, Myers surname toe, but I did yeah. not foresee
1: Wolverine frog. No, and I mean there are so many things, and now I feel like I need to go and research more <laughs> frogs. stuff. maybe that this is maybe this is the point of the podcast is you say. Why would you tell me that? Because now I need to go and do work and learn more about frogs.
2: This whole thing is about your parents feel that you're undereducated. And they asked me to come up with a very complicated <laughs> ruse. I'm slowly going to get you into the things that your mom and dad actually wanted you to learn. Um, it's I just, he's, he's a fascinating expert. And the natural world out there, there's so much weird stuff. And of course, it's great to see when somebody else says stuff, that we find weird, but they just study it all the time. And then you go, of course, yeah. Yeah, why, why wouldn't you grow it on your back? Like if somebody had said to you, which would you think about it? Would 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 you not prefer to puke up your young than to give them give birth to them another way? You would go, of course. Actually, sign me up for that.
1: Well, I I know from carrying my own kids, putting them on the on your back like a like a jockey back is way easier than carrying them like you know in your arms. So maybe from a pregnancy point of view, it's it's way better for the mother,
2: you know. <laughs> There are now
1: so many questions. Oh, my God. You heard it
2: here first. Papoost based (laughs) science, basically. That's what this is. (laughs) The thing is, though, now, I'm I'm not saying we should learn from nature, but if you or I, and God forbid it ever happens, right, but say in a few years, I think there's parts of this uh, show and this podcast that will stick with us forever. Yeah. Say we're walking down a street in Dublin or wherever else around the world, maybe a very dangerous part of another city, and suddenly we're mugged. Imagine. Mm. And you're on the ground and you've you've no weapon right and it's you're coming from the beach in a foreign city so you're in sandals or or maybe flip-flops dave right yeah and as a last resort you go i'm gonna do it and you break your own toe
1: (laughs) in the the vain attempt that you can fashion it into some kind of weapon do you know the worst thing to be i'd be wearing crocs so the boat is sticking out one of the holes (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh, no. and you try and kick a fella to death and he uh, nothing <laughs> happens except he turns up to A&E four months later with a mild Veruca <laughs> uh,
1: Neil uh, I now need to wow you next week um, how can I do that I'll tell you what I will tell you about the roller coaster ride to becoming the richest country in the world
2: oh oh Mm. i am on board for that my friend
1: okay well join us next time for why would you tell me that uh, you can get us on social media i am at dave today fm on instagram you'll find neil delamere comedy is where you'll find him and of course the show is at why would you tell me that thanks for listening see you next time
0: see you next time